Hey everyone, this is Joseph Bosco, pastor of Highway Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. You know, all of us need the right kind of voices in our lives. Voices that inspire us to know the one who made us. Voices that awaken our divine destiny and reveal to us the goodness of God. Well, that's what this ministry is all about. So enjoy the message. The love boat. We're on the love boat. You know that, right? The love boat. Soon we'll be making another run. The love boat promises something for everyone. Yeah. Oh, someone else knows some more. Come on. Yeah. What's the next line? I don't know. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Wow. Wow. All right. Yes. I think you've watched a few episodes. I mean, that's good. Were you? Yeah. Many people were in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, God is good. We're talking about his love for you. And because we've all fallen short of the glory of God, because Christ came for all of us, that puts all of us in the same boat, is how the message translation says that. And I'm going to read that right now. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13. It says, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, mad, as some say, it is for God and concerns Him. If we are in our right mind, it is for your benefit. Verse 14 in the message, Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. Is Christianity extreme? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> His love has the first and last word in everything we do. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. That's where our title came from, the love boat. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. You can tell who you're living for by looking at your calendar and looking at your checking ledger, right? The ledger of your financial accounts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Passion Translation says, so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for Him. This verse hit me the last few weeks, and uh, I was moved. I made a post on my Insta and Facebook page, and I put these two verses in there. And I just began to think of, of the person of Jesus. Not a religious artif- artifact? What is that a word? Artichoke? What am I trying to say? <laughs> yeah. But uh, the person of God. 
That's what I'm talking about. The living, breathing Christ. And again, to think of Him, and I begin to think of His love, I've never known anything like it, and you never will. And I began to think of, of His love and His majesty, and, and it just... Something just so you know, if if I'm if I'm living for anyone or anything else, I'm really self-absorbed. Because he's so glorious. I mean, I don't know, you there's nothing to compare him to. He's beyond your greatest dreams and imaginations. So because of his majestic splendor, if I'm living for anyone or anything else, I'm missing it. The message says, speaking of, of this life that he's called us to live, it's a resurrection life. It's a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Hallelujah. This is the boat we're in. The boat where we know that he loves us. When we know that he gave his son for us. We know that we become new creations in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is our captain. Let's get into verse 16. I think we're going to try and finish this series next week. So this is part three in our series, part three, and we're looking to finish this next week. We're going 13 through 21. So we're on verse 16 right now. Here's a biggie. Are you ready? So from now on, because of the love of Christ, right? Change, it changes everything. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The King James says we regard no one after the flesh. That's good. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Let me read in the message translation. Because of this decision... Right To let God's Word be the first and last in all that we do. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. <laughs> we looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Isaiah teaches us about the physical appearance of Jesus. It teaches us that he didn't have a halo on top of his head, that there was nothing special about his human appearance that would attract us to him. He looked just like you and me do. Just a human being. The Passion Translation says, So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people. It means you have an option, right? But I'm not going to do it. Refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. Wow. It's a different way of living, isn't it? For that's how we once viewed the anointed one. But no longer do we see him with limited human insight. Do you know that all human insight is limited? Regardless of how much experience a person has in any field, 
regardless of how much training, uh, how many positions they've held, how many awards they've achieved, how many Nobel Peace Prizes they've won, how many degrees they may have, it's all limited. Very, very, very limited. Do you know that God is unlimited? His view is perfect. He sees everything clearly and perfectly all the time. So when I take Him at His word, I'm, I'm living with a view that's clear. His Word will give you a clear view to see things you could not see in any other way. So, how does God look at people? We're going to take a look at this in 1 Samuel 16. Because this is how we're going to look at people. 1 Samuel 16. And then we'll get back to 2 Corinthians, all right? 1 Samuel 16, this is under the Mosaic Covenant. And this is the prophet Samuel. And the Lord speaks to the prophet and he says, How long will you mourn for Saul? Now you know that it was not God's will for Israel to have a king. Do you know that? I'll hear people say, why did God allow Saul to do that? It wasn't God's will for him to be king. God didn't allow it. Israel chose it. You need to stop blaming God for things. And just believe him. And let him be God in our lives. So Israel said, well, we, all the other nations have kings. And God said, I will be your king. And they said, nope, we want a king. He said, you're going to have all kinds of trouble if you let a man be your king. Sure. Sure. I don't care. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king. Okay. Yeah. So they decided they wanted to have a king. So God gave them a king. If you'll read through the scriptures, there's one statement. I don't remember. Huh. Where is it now? But God says, basically, I'm going to deal with you according to the words you've spoken out of your own mouth. In other words, whatever you say, that's what you're going to have. Religion doesn't know how to handle that. They want to think God's controlling everything, but he's not. He made us in his image, and death and life is in the power of your tongue. So start using it for life, right? So God speaks to Samuel. He says, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided, myse for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Wow, so God had found someone. And Samuel said in verse 2, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 3. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel, the prophet, doesn't know who it is. God is going to show him who is to be the next king. So Samuel did what the Lord said, went to Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled at his coming. They feared the men of God. And this, they said, what's, what does this mean, the prophets coming to our town? Right? There, was a, there were some wrong concepts of God in the Old Testament. Right? Do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. 
Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons. I want you to see that. And his sons, but there was one son who wasn't even invited to this. Okay? And invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Elijah, excuse me, at e- Elijah wasn't there, at Eliab, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So he sees Eliab, who has a physically impressive stature. So he said, There it is. So what's, Saul, or, what's Samuel doing? Right? He's judging as man judges according to the outward appearance. So in his mind, the next king has got to be impressive physically, right? So he sees Eliab and says, well, here it is. This is easy, right? Here's the next king. Let me anoint him. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him, is what he says. <laughs> the Lord stops him. says, do not look at his appearance or how many followers he has on Insta or at his physical stature. Because I have refused him. For like the Lord, excuse me, for the Lord does not see as man sees. How does man see? Limited. How does God see? Clearly and completely. Here's the kicker. This is what we want to know. For man, with an unrenewed mind, looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. So Samuel's getting it now. He's listening on the inside instead of using his peepers, right? Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, nope. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said, no, 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 no. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all, I'm sorry, verse 11, I'm sorry. You guys are great. I'm just zipping through it here. Verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? <laughs> he knows that these aren't it. And God told him it's one of his sons. And surely this guy brought all of his sons with him. Have you ever been left out in your family? Neglected, not considered important. So Jesse said, uh, there remains yet the youngest, and uh, he's keeping the sheep. <laughs> Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. He wasn't even there. His own dad didn't think enough of him to bring him to this monumental meeting with the prophet. It really doesn't matter what your biological father thinks of you. Because you have a heavenly father who thinks everything of you who is absolutely for you and loves you with a perfect love and believes in you. God believes in you. Your Father believes in you. He knows your giftings and potential. He knows you can do this. Hallelujah. He made you for success. Hallelujah. He says, send him and bring him here. Let's see that. Send and bring him for we will not. Oh, look, like a, yeah, end of verse 11. For we will not sit down till he comes. Wow. What's happening? The Holy Spirit is moving on Samuel. He's saying this is a big deal. Right? So verse 12, he said, have you ever been moved upon by the Holy Spirit and you can't sit down? Ah. 
Or you're sitting down and you've got to stand up. Or you've got to hold on to your pulpit because you feel like running. <laughs> We're not going to sit down until he gets here, so go get him. Verse 12, so he sent and brought him in. I don't know how long that took. I don't know how long they were standing. Doesn't really matter, does it? He was ruddy with bright eyes, good looking. And the Lord said, arise. The Lord said to Samuel, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. This is verse 13. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now, chapter 13, a few chapters before, we get some insight into why God chose David. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. But now your kingdom shall continue. The Lord has sought... This is 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. Excuse me. The Lord has sought for himself... A man after his own heart. Wow. And the Lord had commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept the Lord, kept what the Lord commanded you. So he's speaking to Saul, right? So the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Remember we read in, in, in 2 Corinthians that man looks on the outward appearance, excuse me, uh, we don't judge people by their outward appearance, which is limited human insight. So what do we, how do we look at people? We look at their heart. How is the heart demonstrated? Well, by the way they speak and the way they behave. Right? Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it doesn't take long to get to know what's in someone's heart. Just talk to them for a little while. Right? Second Chronicles 16.9. This is one of the first verses, probably in the first 10 verses I memorized back in 1989 when I started reading the Scriptures because I really wanted to know Him. And I hit this verse and I said, Ah, oh, I need this. For the eyes of the Lord run. When do you run? When you really want to get somewhere, Right? Run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose insta-following is 15,000 or more. Not even in the picture. God doesn't care how many followers you have. It means nothing in the spirit realm. Nothing. Zero zip. Why would you work so hard to increase that then? Let God do it. I understand you can be using it for the field that you're in and to, to grow your reach, and that's fine. But it's not our motivation, Right? It's not what we focus on. It's not where we get our confidence from. How many followers we have, right? 
It's not who we choose to listen to or, 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 or give, uh, allow their voice to speak into our lives because they have so many followers. Wouldn't that be limited human way of thinking, right? What do we look at? The heart of the person. How is that revealed? By what they speak about, by what they believe and how they conduct their lives, how they live. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The New American Standard says, whose heart is completely his. Ah, I like that right there. That's what the Lord's looking for. And there's no faking it. There's no faking it. Your heart is either completely his or it isn't. And he knows. Now, he loves you no matter what. His love for you, nothing can change his love for you. He loves you totally, completely, all the time. And if you spit in his face, he will love you the same. You can swear at him. You can curse him. You can reject him, but he loves you perfectly. But we're talking about the condition of your heart and the well-being of your person. There's something that happens when you give your heart completely to him. And I did in 1989. And I was almost 20. And I decided from that moment on I'm going to live for him alone. In all my decisions. Now I'm not perfect. I messed up. I, I made some stupid mistakes. But that became my focus is to give him every dream. And I had a lot of them. Every desire, every hope, every ambition, every objective, every project, every goal, to lay it all before him and say, Father, I want you. Have your way in my life. There's nothing scary about that prayer because God is good. And I heard people say, oh, you shouldn't pray for that. Watch what God's going to do. As if he's going to hurt you because you just prayed a prayer. What kind of father would he be then? Right? A bad father. Right? But he's a good father. So you can talk to God about anything. And when you give yourself to him, uh, Satan will put thoughts like that in your mind. Oh, boy. Now what's going to happen? Right? Now, now this is going to happen. You should have never prayed that. That's silly. The best place your life could be is fully in the hands of the one who made you. But you're the only one who can put it there. When your whole heart is given to him, your whole life is given to him. Right? No heart, no life. I haven't looked into this myself, but I had heard that there were studies done on the physical organ, on the heart, that it also has a memory, like your brain does. Interesting. Whose heart is completely his. The message says, God is always on the alert. There's a heart that's completely yours. Always on the alert, constantly on the lookout for people who are totally committed to Him. Wow. Notice it doesn't say for people who are reading their Bible. For people who pray a lot, for people who go to church. No, for people whose hearts are totally committed to Him. Now, if your heart's totally committed to Him, you'll do those things. But you can do those things 
and still not have a heart that's totally committed to him. Right? Hallelujah. Now, Acts 13, 22 gives us further insight into the heart of the man that David, uh, that God chose to be king. In Acts 13, 22, it says, when he had removed him, Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. How do you know? Because he will fulfill all my will. The will of God becomes your focus when your heart is given to him. And it doesn't, it's not a mystery anymore what God's will is because your heart's completely his. Some people kind of want to know what the will of God is, but they kind of want to do their own thing, so they're always praying, oh, will you pray with me so God will show me his will? Just give your heart to him, and his will will become very clear. Give your whole heart to him, 100% of it to him, and his will become very clear. The Amplified says, who will do all my will and carry out my program fully. <laughs> who will do, so I, I found David to be a man after mine own heart who will do all my will and carry out my program fully. The Passion Translation says, a man who always pursues my heart. I like that. It's a 24-7 focus, right? Who always pursues my heart and will accomplish all that I have destined him to do. Now, this has been a fun verse in my life. As I was raised and told that I should be going to a certain field. Now, basically, just the, and I'm not finding fault with it, but my parents had a way of viewing things. And you know, through the, the, our country went through two world wars in the early 1900s, the 20s, 30s, and 40s. World War II ended in 44, 45, excuse me, D-Day was in 44, <laughs> ended in 45. Um, but it takes time for a nation to recover from, from such things. And if you enter into those things and you're not grounded in the in in your heart's not fully his, it's a great opportunity for fear to set in. David went into war, but he didn't allow fear to grip him. So fear gripped a lot of people in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Of course, you've heard of the Great Depression. That's what man called it. But do you know there are people who prospered? prospered significantly during the great I'm not talking illegally I'm talking about good business practices people who trusted God ministries that trusted God can't remember the name the name of the lady minister who felt God had called her to build a, a beautiful sanctuary right during the great depression and she did it by faith why am I saying this because God does have a program and as a result, that fear, there were people who took that fear, who allowed it to come into their lives and kept it with them for generations. And my grandparents had it. 
Oh boy. Skimping and trying to save every penny. It wasn't the Great Depression. I was born in 69. The Great Depression was over. <laughs> you know? Growing up in the 70s, 80s was a very prosperous time for America. But not in their mind. Not faulting them. I love them. Just trying to, to encourage us to get beyond man's limited thinking. So it was, it was skimp and save. Skimp and save. You know, take the labels off everything. Put them in a folder and, you know... And just not prosperous thinking. And I was told that if you're going to have any kind of security in life, there's only certain jobs you you can get. And and my parents were convinced if you want to have a stable job, you've got to be a physician or a lawyer. Well, that wasn't in my heart. It just wasn't in me. I enjoyed chemistry and science. I, I liked the sciences and mathematics, but... Going into those fields just wasn't in here. And I, I, I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know the Holy Spirit personally. Didn't have, you know, but he was moving in my life. And I just thought, I can't do that. It's not in me. Guidance counselors all, you know, recommend here's some fields where there's job security. Many of those fields don't exist anymore. Because <laughs> things change. There's no such thing. Boy, God, you're so good. So I remember reading a book, uh, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Didn't know the Bible, unfortunately. Didn't know the scriptures we've just read. And I'm reading through this, I think it was from my English lit class or contemporary lit. I don't remember what class. One of the literature classes. I didn't pay attention in class very much. So uh, I'm reading through this book, and, and, and there's a statement in this book, and it says, Search not for security, for there never was such a beast. And if there were, he'd be related to the great sloth, which hangs from a tree. And sleeps his life away. Shake the tree and knock the sloth to the ground. And my heart went, yeah. What's he saying? He's saying security doesn't exist in this world. And those who are focused on being secure are like a sloth that sleeps his life away. And you have to watch because governments will use security to try and move you to follow their program. But America's different. Our focus in founding this country was not security, but freedom. And when you're focused on freedom, you have a whole different way of living. You're not concerned about being secure and having a retirement plan. You want to create a, a society where people can choose to live according to their conscience. In fact, right in Portsmouth, when, when Paul and Karen and uh, Jeremiah Brady were here, we took them to a place that Jennifer has wanted to go, and we hadn't gone there yet, and it's uh, a, the a memorial. What's the name of the little uh, river there? Not river, little creek. Founders Brook, a little brook there in, in the northern side of Aquidneck Island, right as you come on to Portsmouth. You can see it right off of 24, and they made a memorial um, to Anne Hutchison. And you read, and it's like, what did the stone say, 1648, the first government established in the world uh, on religious and civil freedom, 1648. And it was the town of Portsmouth, established by Anne Hutchison. Anne Hutchison was a woman and, uh, who uh, I believe was from England, is that right? And she found a preacher, a minister in England who preached the gospel of grace. This is in the 1600s they would ride on horseback at least four hours one way to hear this man preach. And he would, the services would be like two to four, what, four hours? I forget. That's, 
the services were multiple, and he would preach for a long time. And then after the service, with the multiple-hour service was over, they'd have a question-and-answer Bible study for some more hours. Then they'd get back on their horse and ride however many hours it was on horseback back home. This man left to come to the States. What did she do? She followed him to the States. And he came to Boston, 1600s. And she began to preach the gospel of grace. It's a whole different culture back then. Women were oppressed. She began with her husband's permission. Her husband and her seemed to be together. She began leading a Bible study in her home on the gospel of grace. And she had like 70 or 80 people coming, and men included. And the, the Boston church was a legalistic, uh, just a whew, nasty place. Uh, you couldn't bounce a ball on the Sabbath, all kinds of things. They were just very religious, very dogmatic, very uh, legalistic. And they got word that this woman is holding a Bible study in her home, and there are men attending, and they got very jealous, and they put her on trial. And you know what she had to do? She had to stand in a room by herself with no defense, no one else on her side, with 12 men surrounding her, and they drilled her and questioned her. And they, they decided she was guilty of, I forget what they, heretic, yeah. Because she taught that, it, that, that we could know the Bible through, through inner light, she called it, that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you the Scriptures. Heresy, they said. They exiled her from the Boston church, and the man that she followed over to, to hear the gospel, he wouldn't stand up for her because he was afraid of his reputation. So they exiled her, and she came down to Aquidneck Island, and she founded Portsmouth on religious liberty. Why is that important? Because security doesn't exist in this world. Don't let the government or anyone else move you to follow their program because they promise you security. Communism and socialism promise security to get people to comply to what the government says is right. They want to make you afraid. America wasn't founded on that. That you have a God-given right to choose how you live your life. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So forget security. Give your whole heart to God. This is how we live. These are people God is looking for. People that will carry out his full program. Where was I going? Oh, yeah, back to mom and dad. Thank God for my mom and dad. I believe my dad's in heaven. Uh, and uh, praying for mom to make that decision as well. But uh, I, so that's the counsel I was given, security, security, security. Uh, and what was interesting is mom and dad did real well financially, but never really enjoyed it because they were afraid. So much tension and, and all kinds of issues they were f dealing with because they didn't know how good God was. And uh, so I just, you know, I just decided I, I wasn't even going to finish high school. I was just, this is not for me. And uh, so I was planning on just taking off for the West Coast at 17 and forgetting high school. And then I started, I, I shared this before, I started talking to God and uh, asking him what he thought about that. Because he had a program and I had a program and they were very different. 
looking for someone who would do my will and carry out my program fully. I believe there's some people here who are about to discover the program of God for their lives and online as well. So here I am, 17, never heard any of the stuff you're hearing, but there was just a desire in my heart, and it was the Holy Spirit trying to open my eyes. I said, I wonder what God wants me to do. I've heard from everybody else. What's he want for my life? So I'd start talking to him. And I'd take long walks at night because i just leave and go for a walk and no one be around. It'd be dark and I could just talk and, and uh, out there with the skunks and all the critters at night <laughs> walking through the woods. And i just talk to God and say, God, what do you want me to do in life? I'm planning on going out to L.A. and so-and-so is going to introduce me to so-and-so and might get a contract with this label or well, all these kind of different things. I said, but what about you? What do you want for my life? And I mean, I would do this for months. I wish I would have known the scriptures. It would been a lot quicker. <laughs> but, you know, I just taught. And then as a decision would come up, I'd ask God about it. I said, God, do you want me to go there? And it became clear to me he didn't want me to do that. So I stayed. And I finished high school, but I knew I wasn't to, to go the route that I was advised. So I wasn't going to go uh, to any kind of schooling. I didn't want to do that. Formal, formal education was just not for me, and it's not for everybody. Education is for everybody, but not man's formal education. The word education means to draw out potential. And there are many ways to do that. You can apprentice. You can learn a trade. There's many, many ways that you can develop what's inside of you, and the Internet has changed that as well. And uh, so there are many ways to develop what's inside of you. A formal education through an established college or university is one option out of many. So the Lord began leading me uh, different ways, and each decision I try and hear from him and do what I thought he wanted me to do. And ultimately, he led me to uh, a, a, a vocalist, a singer, who knew him very well and gave me a Bible and began reading the Word. And I ultimately discovered that God had a calling on my life. And you're taught, you're, at that point, you're looking at someone who didn't even know, really, I don't even know if I ever literally heard the word pastor before. I'm being serious with you. In our, my tradition, we didn't use that word. I didn't, I didn't know apostle, prophet, evangelist. You must be talking about, you know, John and James and Matthew and Mark and Luke and those guys. I didn't know anything about what I'm doing today. Never heard of it. Didn't see it. Didn't know it. Isn't that something? What I was made to do, I didn't even know existed. Hello. It's time to discover God's program for your life. Never, never mention that I can remember any guidance sessions, any tests I took. Didn't even see it on anything, you know. But it was there inside of me. And as I, I, once I became born again, well, watch out. Then things just unfolded inside of me. And man, I began to see things I didn't even know existed and understand things I didn't know were out there who will do all my will and carry out my program fully. So I, we were actually living in Europe at the time, and we'd been married about a year, and the Lord really began to speak to my heart about going into full-time ministry. I thought, what? What's that? And just studying the Scriptures, and I've been into a number of different types of churches, some good, some interesting. But... Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> 
And uh, we got here, he, we, we got here to Newport, didn't even know where that was, Newport, Rhode Island, and had to look on a map to find it. And uh, God began to unfold things inside of me, and a, a calling became revealed. But I had a choice, because I still had another program in mind. And I didn't know what God's program looked like. I hadn't seen it. No one explained it to me. I couldn't go, uh, you know, to a, a place and learn it. I had to learn it from talking to him. And I made a decision to say yes to his program. And I'm going to invite you to do that same. And also, when you're looking at others, I'm looking for their heart. Do they have a heart that's been fully given to him? And if not, what can I do to encourage them to take that step? As I'm looking for people who are willing to fully accomplish God's program. And that's why we started this place in 2014. And we stepped out, didn't have anything to step out on. Didn't ha- I, I, I said, Lord, do you want me to, uh, to get a full-time job? What do you want me to do for income? He said, trust me, which meant just do this full-time. We didn't have a congregation. We didn't have a building. We didn't have anything. And we stepped out. I said, okay, Lord, you show me what to do. He led us to rent a, a cinema at Regal Cinemas on Sundays from 7 a.m. till noon for $500 a week. Now, when you have zero, that's a lot of money, right? (laughs) And then we had to get about $15,000 worth of equipment. So when you have zero, you already got $15,000 you need and $500 a week, and, of course, you've got insurance and liability and all this other stuff. So expenses are there, but you've got to trust him. And it was wintertime on top of that. I was talking with the kids, so we had our minivan, and we got all the gear we the Lord provided. We had totes and totes of gear in our garage, <laughs> stacked up in the garage. And Sunday morning would come, we'd go out, we'd open the minivan, we'd take all the seats out, we'd put all the gear in our minivan. The whole family cram in there like sardines and all the gear, the totes of gear, a, whole, a PA system, everything. And we'd drive to Regal Cinema. <laughs> We'd pull under the parking area there. We'd get out. The wind would whip through that parking area. The kid, kids, you know, how old? Mariah was uh, 15 or so at the time. Uh, yeah, Dana would just been, how old was Dana? How, how old, sweetie? That sounds about right, seven. So here we are, six of us in the wintertime. And, and, and that we had to go to the second floor of the mall. And we had to load all that gear on hand trucks, wheel it around the parking lot on the sidewalk, into the floor, onto the elevator, out of the elevator, down, around, uh, down, and then all the way down to the front of the cinema and set it up. (laughs) Yeah, set it all up, get ready for service at, I don't know, 10. I think we started at 10. After it's all done, pack it all up, get it all on the totes, Put all in the hand trucks, walk it all out, down the elevator, two floors, out in the parking lot, load it back up in the movie, and take it home, unload it, put it in the garage, stack up the garage again, and do that. Who will do all my will and carry out my program fully. No one ever told me about that. I didn't see any films in, in high school about doing this. 
What were we doing? Following God's program. Trusting him to meet our needs and needs of our children. To build what he wants to build. And here we are today. And I want to tell you, he's faithful. And we're still trusting him. We're still trusting him. Oh, there's a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more. And this is a year where things are going to be revealed. And I'm excited. I can't share them with you yet, but we're getting there. But we would love to, I, I, I don't want to have a church that looks like a church. I want to have a place that people could come to experience God. That's why I like the way this place looks. I like the vibe of it. It doesn't say religious tradition. Not faulting anybody, it's just what's in me. So what's in me now, I'm just going to tell you me now, is to have a place that's like a, a nightclub. All right, let's pray. Now, let me explain to you what I mean. It's a place where people come, and when they walk in, the atmosphere is lit. There's an expectancy in the atmosphere. The presence of God is there whether they know it or not. And the music moves them to consider the goodness of God. And if they know him, to worship him. And then the ministry of the Holy Spirit takes place as we worship. And I'd love to have a place where there are like tables and chairs, like a restaurant, you know, cafe. And then... Again, the ministry of the Word. So the things that we're doing now, we do, we do what we're doing now, but just take it up notch after notch. So we're going we're gonna to watch God unfold this. But So I, I like this building, and uh, we, we're going to branch out for sure and have more than just this location. But I want a place that people come, can not only come on a Sunday morning, maybe a Friday night, or a Tuesday night or something, and they come into a place where their guard is down and they meet God. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not, but uh, that's, what, that's what's in us, and we're watching God direct us and lead us. we got to stop today, guys. Let's pray. <laughs> Jennifer, you want to come on up here? Father, thank you so much for these special family times that we share as highway family. Lord, where you're just... Uh, Revealing your plan to us. You're all about the heart. You're looking for people who will carry out your will and your program fully. People who are always pursuing your heart, not their own agenda. Lord, I pray that you fill this place with those people. People who are all about your program, all about your plan, and who are willing to stack their garage up and and rearrange their lives to do what you've asked them to do. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Let's just worship him for a little bit. And I believe that today the Lord is kind of uh, unveiling some programs, some agendas. I believe the Holy Spirit is inviting people here to take another step in his program to fully let go of your program and to fully embrace His. 
You know, Lord, we don't always know what your program looks like, but we know you have one. And we know how good you are. And because of that, we embrace your program. We know your program is abundant life. We know your program is victory. We know your program is joy and vision and purpose and destiny. And today, this 28th day, this last day of February, in the year 2021, we choose your program. We forsake every other program. We give you every dream. We give you every ambition. We give you every desire and every hope. We give you all of our plans. We place them all into your hands with great joy, comforted by your lavish love for us. And we say, Father, reveal to us your program for our lives. In Jesus' name. God is so good. We want to invite you to continue to grow in the knowledge of His goodness, who He is, what He's done for you, and who you are in Him. Check out our websites at josephbosco.us and highwaychurch.us and begin living the abundant life He came to give you.